All right, everybody, welcome to the 371st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man, Sage. We just had a little bit of a technical issue. My computer and my electricity decided to shut off for like five minutes, so I had to start everything back up, and then I forgot to unplug and then replug in my internet, so we were just chilling for 20 minutes while everything in my house got back up into working uh, order. So a little bit of a frustrating uh, little 20 minutes of like, why isn't this working? Oh, snap, I forgot to do the one important thing. But uh, we're here, we're talking about the Portland Trailblazers, and um, you know, we have at least one great thing to talk about, and that's Scoot Henderson. Yeah, and I want to make a disclaimer for everyone listening, if this comes on your feed and it is the day, it is trade deadline eve, and you're looking for some trade deadline chatter, you're not going to find it on this episode. We have previously discussed trade deadline targets, people who, I mean, if you've listened to us for this entire season, you know who our targets are to move, who we would like to acquire. And also, Joe Cronin has been especially kind of quiet. Every time he makes a move, it kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's not who you think it's going to be. Really, the Jeremy Grant move with Detroit was the only one that was kind of premeditated, and we all kind of see saw it coming, but nobody saw Milwaukee as a, as a Damian Lillard suitor. Nobody really saw us acquiring Matisse Thibault last year. Uh, it just kind of comes out of left field, and really there are no substantial rumors, so we're not going to use this space at the moment to to kind of divulge into any of that. However, if something does break between Emergency the next 24 hours, yeah. we're going to be here. We're going to give you our reactions just like we always do. We'll carve out some time, make it happen. But, you know, with 24 hours almost on the dot left until the trade deadline is over, Portland has not made a move. And, and we will we will discuss if they do, if they don't. But for now, we're going to talk about the week that was. Some, I mean, uh, Shane Sharp being hurt has to some, stop. Yeah, exactly. Every, some yeah. bad injury updates. And also, I kind of want to talk about um, the guards moving forward. But before we dive into all of that, let's go back and kind of take a look at what the week that was. Uh, Portland scored a nationally televised victory over Damian Lillard in his inaugural return to uh, Rip City against the Milwaukee Bucks, 119 to 116. Uh, funny note about that. My mom called me and was like, wow, Doc Rivers is a bad basketball coach. And that's the first time I've heard her criticize like an opposing coach. And I was like, yeah, I was like, if my mom knows that, then you done messed up big time Milwaukee. Uh, and then Friday and Sunday, Portland had basically a mini series in Denver uh, against the world champion Nuggets. Both games were pretty good contests, uh, shorthanded, no Jeremy Grant in both, no Malcolm Brogdon in the second one. Uh, Portland dropped 120 to 108 in the first contest and then lost a double digit lead really quickly at the end of the third and into the fourth and Denver cruised to a 112 to 103 victory. The loss put Portland uh, 15 and 35, still 14th in the West, still fifth in those draft lottery standings. Uh, Sage, talk to me. What, what did you see this week? I mean, I, I, Scott, I, we saw Scoot's brilliance, and that's, we're going to talk about that later, but 
Let's win. dive into it now. If that's the thing you wanted to get into, if that was the most uh, impactful thing we saw over these past three games, which I tend to agree with, let's get into it right now. I mean, we just needed to be patient with him. In this society, it's so, I want my thing now. I, I my For a reference, my Xbox Series X is broken. I had to get it to the repair shop. I'm using the old generation Xbox. And the old generation Xbox at that time loaded really fast for, you know, what it was last generation. Now I'm looking at it and I'm like, holy shit, I'm waiting a full minute for a load time. This is bullshit. And when we're talking about, you know, developing a point guard, we kind of have that, holy shit, this Xbox isn't loading fast enough. Because we had Damian Lillard, the Series X xbox now we're talking about a 19 year old guy who's who has to work past all of those issues in the g league ignite playing at a chaotic pace now he has to play in a system that isn't necessarily the best for him because chauncey Phillips' scheme is as bad or worse than doc rivers and we it's just we're seeing him pile on some success after success, and it's a beautiful thing. It's just we need to be a little bit more patient. He's going to be at that level of Damian Lillard or past it. We just have to be a little bit patient. And in these these games, when he got time, he dominated in his own way, and it was a really beautiful thing to see Scoot Henderson having having that success and do I think it lasts? I think Scoot's going to do everything possible for it to last. But Chauncey Billups, at the end of the day, puts him in success, uh, in places to succeed. And if Shane Sharp's not going to play, I think he's going to be very, very trustful of Anthony Simons and Malcolm Brogdon. And I think that is going to lead into more, you know, the role being complicated for Scoot. But in these three games, I think Scoot has been a wonderful, shining light of of goodness. Yeah, in that Milwaukee game, obviously, I think he was the star of the first half. He had, you know, 15 points, 6 of 11 field goals. I think he played like something 16 minutes. Um, He had a beautiful reverse dunk on baseline uh, where he just took Dame right to the right to the baseline off of a of a triple handoff he went to the chest of bobby portis of Giannis antetokounmpo he was draining down the clock dribbling into pull-up threes over pat Connaughton, working the mid-range really looked like a fluid basketball player and really looked confident it was unfortunate that chauncey billups reared his coaching head again and when Scoot made a mistake or two in the fourth quarter, he felt the victory was more important than the development. And I would tend to disagree with that assessment. Um, also, I don't know it's for certain that the Blazers would have lost had they given Scoot more of a chance. But he really did not get much <clears throat> creation opportunities in the second half. However, in Denver, he built upon that. And as he as you listen to him in the postgame, he's talking about taking and just building, building upon performances one after another, not trying to really go out there and Maybe he had a grand slam on the first pitch, but okay, you're working the count, working the count to get to get to that opportunity. <clears throat> and he had 30 points on Friday. 
He got to the line 12 times. He had a streak broken where he made 38 or 39 consecutive free throws, which was the longest in the entire NBA at that point. I don't think we're not, we're not talking enough how uh, excellent Scoot's free throw shooting has been and his ability to get to the line. He hands out five, or hands out two assists, five rebounds, three of seven from downtown, which is 43%, beautiful numbers. He has a pretty solid, I thought, performance on Sunday. Now, you're going to look at the box screen and say, Dustin, he shot three of 16. That's terrible. If you watch the tape, he got to his spot wherever he wanted. All of his shots, maybe minus two, I don't think were forced. I thought were in the flow of the offense, either rimmed out or just it wasn't his night. And as a now 20-year-old rookie, he's going to have nights like that. Hell, Anthony Simons has been having nights like that pretty regularly in, in, the, in the year 2024. But he still was able to help in other ways. We're talking about nine assists and eight rebounds. And you're almost talking about a triple-double on that poor of shooting. Like, th- that just shows he is mentally locked in. He's not letting his shot affect his play. Um, one thing I love about Scoot is, is I think he's finally figuring out how to play the point guard position at this level. And he's utilizing pace. He's utilizing hesitation. And he's knowing when to hit that burst on that speed. He still is struggling to fi- finish at the rim uh, pretty significantly, but I think those numbers are still a little bit skewed from earlier on in the season. But what he's doing now, and I think he's going to continue to figure this out, is he's saying, I'm stronger than 90% of other point guards out there. Maybe I'm in the in the, one, the 99th percentile of strength for point guards. He is using his quickness, and he is going into the chest of defenders, and he's drawing fouls at an ex- a pretty significant rate. If you look at some advanced metrics from Scoot Henderson, he is second on the team in his percentage of points coming from the free throw line. 21.2% of his points come at the foul line. Only Jeremy Grant at 21.8% of his overall points coming from the foul line uh, is ahead of Scoot. And you're looking at a, a rookie point guard, not only figuring out how to get to the rim, but getting calls at the rim and we we've all known the officials tend to have a rookie bias when it when it comes to the whistle so i think that's an area where he's only going to improve um you know there's plenty of videos out there on youtube about how he is succeeding and they're very informative and he does ha- have it and this is these are uh tendencies that I, I i tend to agree with he does have a tendency to kind of go to the paint with maybe without a full clear idea of what he wants to do just yet. And right now he's finding success at becoming physical, but if a defender is going vertical, he's kind of out of options. So that's going to be the next progression in his game as to what he wants to do. But in terms of just being patient with the ball, he had a couple of uh, plays against Denver where he got into the paint and he pivoted and normally he may have panicked, but he kind of just collected himself and hit a little midi over Jokic. He did the same thing against Bobby Portis uh, in the Milwaukee game where he kind of just dribbled him down and was like, okay, I, I can't get to the cup here. He's giving me a lot of space. I'm just going to cross it over and, and pull up for the mid range. And we've been harping on this since the summer league performance. And you watch all of his G league content. He is a master of the mid range. It may not be the, the best uh, efficient shot, most efficient shot in the game, but he feeds off that, you know, DeMar DeRozan's going to maybe have a hall of fame career feeding off of that. Chris Paul certainly has. 
it is a good shot if you get space and you and you're open. Um, the three point shot just looks beautiful, even on misses on Sunday night in Denver. He has really tightened that up. I mean, if you look at how he was shooting earlier on in the season versus how he's shooting now, much more compact. I mean, the follow through looks gorgeous. He's getting the 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 guide hand off the ball. Um, I saw a post on the message boards like. Did he really just need glasses? Like, was this just like the magical thing that, that came out of Scoot Henderson? Like, God damn, I can't see. Like, did, did he say, did he really just need glasses? The first overall pick when he got LASIK. I mean, you're, you're talking about sometimes his assist numbers is low. And I looked at in the three games that we uh, are talking about right now. He's averaging in potential assists. He's averaging like eight potential assists a game. So even he's setting players up, and it might just be missing. I, I feel very confident in him. Maybe the I, I really would like to look at all of his attempted layups in the paint because I bet you that actual spacing makes these like the misses turn into makes. Like we we have so many bad shooters and in theory shooters teams are going to pl- clog that paint and make sure like going through the middle of the paint is the most difficult thing possible. Once I we have legitimate shooters, key, I think the biggest key for him in finishing is somebody pointed this out on a message board early in the season. It was like, I watched a ton of G league tape and I've seen it now. He doesn't go left and he, and he doesn't like, I, I've kind of watched that. Like he does not use his left hand. So I think, Adding that to his arsenal is going to unlock so many opportunities for him at the rim. So I, that if, if there's one thing I want Scoot to do even more than three-point shooting, work on that left hand. If, if he's able to get that down, I think you're going to see those uh, percentages finishing around the paint just skyrocket. Yeah, I, I mean, I I have no real worries about Scoot Henderson in any, like, maybe I would like for him to shoot like Steph Curry, but he's not gonna ever shoot like Steph Curry it's because he's a one of one but what Scoot can do with his vision and just repping out some of those mistakes that he does like if we have a good coach I really like he's gonna be a top five point guard in my eyes like I really just do not worry about what he looks like in that final form I think it's gonna be elite as long as he has a coach that can generate space, well, players that can generate space and he can make those decisions. I, I think that the future of Scoot Henderson's extraordinarily bright. So it's really about finding the coach that can like not be the worst possible outcome for us because context matters. Like the Blazers are really horrendous at playing basketball. So Having having it having it go from the worst possible context to a good context is going to be such a big difference. And n- like all of these reps without Shaden Sharp now because of his injury, man, it, it, it's tough. Like I'm glad we beat the Bucks, but I just wish that we could finish the year healthy so we could actually see what happens when all of our good players play at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of a bummer yesterday. The the Blazers announced that that Shaden Sharp needs core muscle surgery. No timetable. 
I mean, you've really got two months left in the season. I would be surprised if he returns. Yeah, I, mm-hmm, I to be to be honest, and it's a bit of a, a bummer because Shaden has only played in thirty two games uh, this year. Scoot was out for a large portion of that in in December, and when you spend two lottery picks in back to back years on a shooting guard and a point guard, you wanted to get them the most amount of reps uh, mm-hmm. that possible, and we we didn't get it. And we probably aren't going to get it this year. And you probably aren't going to see it in summer league. So in the sense of this being a developmental year, we lost that opportunity due to due to injury, which is 320 um, minutes that those two have played together. Yeah, that, that's just not a significant sample size for them to get the chemistry that they need. And I also think uh, an underlying factor of this, the Shane Sharp injury also goes back to letting uh, Skylar Mays leave and, mm. and releasing him. So that makes it more likely the team will keep Malcolm Brogdon past the trade deadline. That's that's a prediction that I think will happen because you can't, I think, finish the season with Scoot and Anthony as your only real ball handlers. And you already saw Chauncey Billups in the Denver uh, miniseries finish games with that three point with that three guard lineup. You've got you know Scoot, Malcolm, and and Anthony. And I, I kind of want to discuss that with you because I wasn't um I wasn't surprised they they, they didn't get uh bullied by Denver's guards defensively. Uh you I mean, were able to, guarded Jokic in he's yeah, they were able to, they were able to you know that, that it, they do switch a lot on defense so they're gonna get those matchups inevitably but they were pretty smart they they put them on perimeter oriented players or players who weren't gonna do self-creation like one of them got stuck on Peyton Watson another one went out on Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. is allergic of the paint he's gonna stay on the three-point line and they're probably gonna shoot over no matter who you have you'll you'll live with that so they were they were addressing the defensive um concerns I think properly Offensively is where I I'm I'm interested to see how it works because we talk about these players and they really all need the ball in their hands to to thrive right. But when you look at how they do operate, it's it's a pretty significant significant gap in the isolation scoring. So if you look at Anthony Simons. Nearly 66% of his field goals come unassisted. That drops down to 60% for Scoot, and that drops down to uh, 56% from Malcolm. For Portland to make this work, and and it even goes uh, even more significant when you look at the three-point percentage in terms of of unassisted, uh, Anthony is almost at at 43% of unassisted. Like He's kind of pulling up a lot. Uh, Scoot's actually getting 65% assisted, so I think that's beautiful. He's showing he can play off ball, but we need to get Anthony's assisted three-pointers up. He's so dynamic off of the ball. So what I've noticed with Anthony Simons in his high-variance performances is he does not respond well to to physical play. Yeah, the physicality. Uh, I watched the tape against Chicago, and Iodesumo who I believe is a third-year guard from the University of Illinois, played really strong physical defense on Simons, leading to a 4-15 performance. The first half against Denver in that Friday game, and even at points in the Sunday game as well, Jamal Murray had really strong performances. And KCP, too. 
KCP. They were stripping him. They were uh, blocking him at the rim. And this is the, the kind of the reason why I don't want him to go down that that Damian Lillard quote unquote junior path. Uh, Dame was much more physical, able to draw fouls, lived at the line even on poor shooting nights. Anthony does not does not he he has a less than twenty percent of his points come from the free throw line. And to put that into context, some of the players around him, Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell Pope, they're in that percentage group. For a score as dynamic as Anthony Simons, he should not be in that same category. And if you're going to have him with the ball in his hands, using as much time off the clock, if you're going to remove the aspect of getting to the foul line, it, it's not worth it. It's and such a it's such a was, tough margin of error to compete that, with. Exactly. And that's exactly what the Denver announcer said Friday. Like Anthony in the second half, um, before he started to heat up. He did a really difficult step back, and the natural like amazing shot. But if he's going to hit that, you kind of just tip your hat and you, you take it, you accept it, and you move on. And I think a lot of teams would be willing to accept that because he is a a tough shot taker and a tough shot maker. But when that did the doesn't... high variance start? Like in like seven, eight games ago. I it almost when the illnesses kind of kicked in for him. So yeah, twenty twenty four ish. So I, I, what I want to look at is his drives per game in the last few games because if he's so ah well let me look so anthony's drives per game still pretty good but I, I, not finishing. He's not getting contact. Yeah, and then so he's, he's 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 wiry and he's not as as bulky as Scoot. So when you're wiry, I like think that, he avoids the contact up, on his drives. Yeah, you get walled up like that. The bulkier player is going to stand still, and you're going to right run into him. If you're bulkier and you get the the defender to move, the refs are going to see that and they're going to call the contact. So it's his build is that just doesn't allow him to, and he doesn't. I, I still don't think he utilizes his vertical athleticism as no. much as he should. Um, you see a lot of these game winners, the one against Milwaukee, for instance, like he's going off of opposite foot euros floating, fading, but not really going to the rim. And it, it works for, for amp, but these, again, these are just a little bit of limitations to where I like to see Anthony as the two guard where he can do some playmaking. And he, he did a beautiful pass in the Milwaukee game got the ball in a fast break. You thought he was going to finish by himself, forced into traffic. No, he rewards Aiton for a great play. One hand pass to Aiton, who seals off his defender for the layup. But I, again, I would say if I'm remembering singular plays, it's because he's not doing that enough for me to be like, yeah. oh, there's just so many for me to count. So that's why I want to see us utilize him off ball. And I think Scoop is a pass first point guard and Malcolm... He does look to score, but I think he's more of a passer than he's a more willing passer. I, I it's tough because of who is our head coach and how much Chauncey Billups has empowered him to be this. But you think about the great scorers in history, like Kobe or Michael or LeBron, they probably get eight to ten free throws a game. So even if they're scoring poorly they get those free eight points so and the 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 that margin for error for ant 
because he doesn't draw free throws is just so small. I, I, I just don't know if Chauncey Billups has the ability to have a balance between Jeremy Grant uh, and Anthony and like they need to be scaled down, but I just don't know if, uh, if Chauncey Billups is capable of doing it. It's, it's abundantly clear that they both need to be scaled down, but I just think that Chauncey Billups is so far in the weeds that he doesn't recognize it. And, you know, when stress happens, you're going to revert to what got you there and what got him into the league is high usage players playing like high usage players. So I I just don't know if Billups is capable of the, the creativity and the the conversation skills to scale down all of these players. I, I just think that there needs to be buy-in from the Portland Trailblazers, and there's there just isn't. And I, I think it's all on like the basketball ops and Chauncey Billups not instilling a buy-in. Because I think if 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 Ant was, you know, more of an off-guard role, but got his got his touches, got his ISOing in. He would be a really awesome, one of the best offensive weapons in the game. But because of who our coach is, I just think that he wants him to play this way. So once we have like a coach and structure and a culture, I think that he he can do everything we're asking. It's just why would you why would you take a back seat when your your boss is saying cook. Cook as much as you want. Get that. Get every shot you can take. So I, I think that he he would really strive and roll where he he uh, you know is scaled down a bit. I just don't think Chauncey Billups is that guy. Yeah, we had um, it's been a few years, but we've had uh, Eric Garcia Gunderson was a former guest used to write for the Columbian. Now is under the Blazer Banter handle. Also has a Substack and that I subscribe to and. He noted in that substack that during the Blazers' seven-game road trip where they had the worst, I believe it was the worst point differential of any seven-game trip in NBA history, they were the bottom of the barrel in passing the basketball. Not assists, just passing the basketball. So I do think the Blazers have increased that. We've seen more of an onus on sharing the ball. Hence, DeAndre's production has gone up because when you know, they're finding him and actually passing him the ball. There are times where Anthony still gets into it's me versus them mode. And you can those those happen when one, he's frustrated, not having a good shooting night and two, the team falls behind and he kind of tries to get it all back at once. When you add in Jeremy to that equation, because Jeremy wasn't there for the final two games uh, of this trip, that's when you start to see those. 62, 28, 33 point blowouts at the hands of good teams because they are going to welcome that type of basketball because it really allows four, to four, it allows yeah. four defenders to rest every time down the court. And you can just take turns guarding Anthony and saying, or, or, or Jeremy. Um, so yeah, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe to that really a lot of good information in, in that. And it, it just is frustrating that like, if we're able to point this stuff out and like, like every Every time I listen to a away team broadcast recently, they're like, man, it, why did it take so long for them to figure out how to get DeAndre Ayton the ball? 
I, I would love I would love to know that because I, I think even though it's not about record this year, Portland's record would be much more it would be significantly better if if they had addressed that question and knew those concerns coming into the season. Even with a brand new roster, it was pretty evident what was going to happen. You had two isolation heavy players as your quote unquote top two scoring guys. Your team lacked playmakers. And you brought in a new center who needs the ball to succeed. And they just kind of played into everything that would lead them into the second worst record in the West. Now we're seeing more competitive basketball lately, which is great. Um, I just don't want to have to keep waiting for the obvious to take place. And I think one of those things is it's they're they're going to, there's going to come a point in time where they need to start letting scoot cook, regardless of whether they keep Malcolm or not. Um, there's going to have to be games where you just say, Malcolm, you're playing 15 minutes. You want to be here. This is going to be your new role. Uh, we we need to figure out what we have in Scoot. We need, you're not going to get better on the bench. Like sooner or later, they're also going to have to start him. I, I know he feels more comfortable coming off the bench, but you're not going to come off the bench forever. Uh, he needs to get into some uncomfortable situations on the court and, and work through those. And it, it may be messy for a few games, but you you can't get clean. Uh, right away like you got to go and you got to do some dirty work and you're going to turn the ball over and you might it's a different mindset you're gonna have to get your mind right uh starting versus coming off of the bench and i'm not saying he needs to do every game but he's he's got to they've got to kind of throw him back into the into the he's he's also had successes now in the nba so he should be feeling more confident but I, i like i feel like malcolm brogdon if he wants to stay here, I think he's more willing to take a backseat role. You saw what he was doing in the beginning of the year where it was like really, really, yeah, it was really high usage rate. Now, when Ant came back, it was obvious that he took a backseat. I think he's totally willing to take a backseat to Scoot because he sees the skill, but he is a team player and we have overextended Malcolm Brogdon a lot this year. This is not what he was supposed to like on successful teams. He was not pounding the rock and driving. He was a secondary playmaker at best. Now he, for certain segments of the year, he was our engine offensively. And that's just not what he is billed as. So I think uh, Malcolm would be will if he's here, I think he would be willing to take a lower role and probably with that lower usage, he's going to be more efficient because he's going to take less bad shots because we put him in like, we're going to talk about Jacoby Walter in in a few days. His role on the Baylor uh, Baylor uh, bears is we can't get anything working. Jacoby save us. I feel like it's the same thing with Malcolm. Hey, for 30% of the season, Malcolm, we can't get anything working. Could you take this last shot? That's not his role. So he, I, he's just been overextended. I think that he'd welcome taking easier shots and, you know, being way more efficient than, you know, he takes 18 shots to score 25 points. That's just not Malcolm Brogdon. He's, he's a catch and shoot guy. He's one of the most deadly catch and shoot players, but he doesn't get that responsibility for most of the year i think he would welcome it if he's if he's indeed on the roster and i, I think with shade and sharp i think he out for uh, an extended time malcolm's probably going to be on this roster but 
I think he would welcome it because I'm sure it's fun to isolate and have unlimited shots, but for him to succeed, he needs to be scaled down and take more efficient, more sustainable shots. All right. Before we talk about uh, two upcoming games this week, real quick, not on the Blazers anymore, but still holds a significant piece of franchise lore, um, both you know, physically, emotionally, tangible, intangible. Damian Lillard did return. Um, obviously, it's no secret he is dealing with a divorce. I, I believe his kids and family are all still here in Portland. Um, do you think that more than his age, which I believe he turns 34 this July, has more to do with his slight decline in performance? Um, I'm sure I, I, everything I, has it all adds up to being a little bit less. And then you have add Doc Rivers being the head coach. Like the Bucks, even though they're highly successful this year, kind of are a fucking mess. Like AG I mean, getting kind fired. of. They, they are a mess, dude. They're yeah, one in four. AG getting Rivers. fired and replacing him with you, Doc. Like, you fire a head coach. So this is Milwaukee. This is not New York, not Chicago, not Los Angeles, not Miami. Milwaukee. Maybe a less desirable destination than Portland, right? You actually win a championship with Coach Mike Budenholzer in 2021. They let him go. I I, I don't necessarily think I agree with that because they, they had gone like 40-plus years, 50-plus years without winning a title since like the Big O and, and Lou Alcindor at the time. So you let him go. You make the biggest move in recent, maybe franchise history altogether, in acquiring Damian Lillard for a rookie head coach who you can midseason. You bring in a coach who is not known for closing out series. In fact, he's known for blowing the three-one lead. I, and he doesn't incentivize three-point shooting, which you're kind of built for. I just thought it was one of the worst coaching jobs I had had, had seen in a while. I mean, and that last series where they just look discombobulated like why as soon as i saw damien lillard inbounding the ball it's like over like they're gonna get to see Giannis, let him dribble a couple times foul him and, and it's 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 game over doc rivers tried to save face by saying oh our plan was you know for Giannis to, to make the first and there's no one better at you know missing a free throw and using their athleticism to get the the ball again like sage i've watched basketball since 1990 the amount of times I've seen a team make the first, miss the second, and get a three or a two, I can count less less than on on my on my one hand. Like it just yeah. that is such a low percentage play, and I know he was trying to save face because because it was definitely a, a screw up. But um, yeah, I picked Milwaukee to win the title preseason, and I'm not liking that selection, especially uh, since Boston's running like a like German and, engineer and is out for the. Pretty much the season potentially. Um, yeah, it's not looking good for the Milwaukee Bucks, but I would like to give credit to Tumani Kamara. Uh I'm not as high as most in Blazer fandom, but I thought he had his best performance. He played such brilliant defense against Giannis and the Bucks in general, charges almost on like back-to-back scenarios, uh finishing, uh more more of that. And and I I, I would it, it, it's just a scaled down role. Like yeah. he was just overextend. Like we, I've said overextend like thirty times this podcast. He was just it's overextended at a star- as a starting role. Now, I would like to say I hate the fact that he's 
going under players in the air trying to get these charges. And he, he's had a really bad habit of doing that. I think it's the most dangerous play that you can do on a basketball court. But him being in a role where he can succeed is probably is the best ro- role for him. Him being the seventh, eighth man that can be a low usage guy that is willing to defend and shoot a wide open basket is what he was designed to be. He wasn't supposed to be your fifth starter. He was supposed to be your ninth or eighth or seventh man. So he's really succeeding in his role. Stop undercutting players in the air. And I, I'm totally happy with, with Tumani in this role. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, a great scaled down role for him. I believe it was the charge on Giannis. He had a, he basically stole an entry pass uh, from, from Dame. And then he took another charge on Connaughton within like a span of like five real time uh, minutes and, it was just beautiful, beautiful basketball, and Portland needs needs more of that uh, to end out the 2024 season. But let's look ahead at two games the Blazers will be playing. Uh, they've got tomorrow uh, against the Pistons, which we will be in attendance. And then they also get the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, the Pistons are t- the one one of the few teams that are, are worse than our Trailblazers this year. Six and 43 still in the realm of finishing with the worst record of all time. They'll probably surpass it, but you know, they're not getting 20 wins. They may not get 15 for a team that is so talented. Like I'm still really excited because there's a lot of individual players that that I'm looking forward to seeing play. But this is a must win. Like we got a quarter season package. I have not seen the Blazers win once. I am predicting they win this game. They have a tendency to play down to their opponent. But you, you get the Blazers at home against a, a good team. They, they may knock them off. They did Philly and, and Milwaukee. But they also did not show up against Chicago, did not show up against San Antonio, did not show up against Utah. Uh, they have a tendency to see like, oh, yeah, we're better than them, even though you're kind of trash as well. And they kind of get knocked, knocked in the teeth. I do think they will beat Detroit. It'll be interesting to see if there are major roster moves uh, for either team coming into that yeah. contest. But, I mean, this this should be a game, if the Pistons are still playing their two bigs, um, this should be a game where, where Portland spreads the floor and finds the mismatch. And if they take their time and they pass the ball, they should win the game. It, it's tough to project because it could, like, Malcolm Brogdon could be gone or Bojan Bogdanovic could be gone. So it's always tough. Like I, I avoid playing any gambling or DFS in these times when the the roster moves are going to happen. So it's it's tough to do the projection. I think the Blazers win because Detroit's awful. But you know, if, if they make if, if someone knocks our socks off with the trade, you know, it could be Detroit's win. But if, if things are normal, I think Detroit the is two and twenty on the road. So that would be a pretty significant. Victory Are we pretty bad at home, though? We are 9 and 13. <laughs> hey, better than 2 and 20. I mean, uh, and then the Blazers it's too round, bad. Out, <laughs> round out the week against. I think that's disrespectful. The uh, Blazers are not a good team, but like the Pistons are like maybe like. They're the, they might be the worst ever. We're still not. We're yes, so we're not, but I, I think that if we're separating There's tiers, a tier level, but we're the still, Pistons that no one else is in. So we're the dog shit that 
is easily picked up in a bag and Detroit's just unmanageable it's, it's on your foot and you can't yeah. get it off and yeah. you got to get a new pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh, it's things the Blazers, up the car, things up the house. Yeah. Then the Blazers play the New Orleans Pelicans uh, 29 and 21. Have not watched <clears throat> much of the Pelicans this year. They seem to be going through a bit of a resurgence compared to last year. They are fifth in the West. They are, excuse me, seventh in the Western Conference, but only five and a half out of first. It is incredibly tight at the top of the West. There are four teams that are basically could say they're the number one team in the West. And I, I think I saw a stat that said never happened before um, this morning. And so they, they're right in the thick of things. <clears throat> I just like playing the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought the Milwaukee Bucks kind of tried to force feed Dame a little bit too much. And Giannis was having a wonderful night. If they want to go to Zion and Zion is, is having a good, good night, which he has in the past against Portland, you just don't have an answer for, for that guy. So I think it's going to de- depend on what Willie Green wants to do. <clears throat> is is he going to force feed Zion or, you know, maybe BI and CJ have, have off shooting nights. It's I, I think New Orleans wins, but I think that's how it's going to be. That's the game flow is going to be predicated on is, is how, who does New Orleans because they have so many options. Who do they decide to use? So with Zion, there was a game, I forgot the team, but he played like he did at Duke where he was like really high energy rebounding from, you know, out of his position, playing really good basketball. And I'm still talking about, yeah, he had one game where he looked like Duke Zion. I mean, there's nobody built to stop him on our team. I mean, there's no one built to stop him, period. It's It takes a full team of dedicated people in the paint to build a wall on Zion Drive. But I just don't think that we have the chemistry to stop him. So I think Zion probably, instead of scoring 24 points every game, he probably gets his ceiling against us. But... I think we can make a game out of it. I really want to see Dame. I mean, CJ versus Scoot in this uh, in that matchup. I want to see if CJ can just lure him into foul trouble, or if he can stay consistent and force CJ to, you know, do CJ things and go out of the flow of offense. I mean, New Orleans has got some length, so mm-hmm. if the Blazers want to play isolation ball, that that goes right into the Pelicans' hands. Now, if they move the ball and get downhill, um. I think Portland Jonas isn't it. stopping shit. No, and yeah. I don't think Zion really is either. No. Um, one thing I would like to point out, and I think he's improving off ball, not only just as a catch and shoot shooter, but Scoot. Now that people are seeing him adjust to his pace, when he gets the ball on the wing off of a pass, like he is able to fake left, like he did uh, against uh, Denver. I think it was against Contavious Caldwell Pope. And he just went right as soon as he caught the ball. It was it was close to a travel, but it wasn't. And he just had a, a golden golden brick road, yellow, right down to uh, the bucket for a layup. And so if he's able to make quick decisions off ball as a slasher, I think that's where you're going to see Portland have success in games you're like putting this. But Herb, also, do you think New Orleans is putting Herb on Ant? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if Dyson's in there, Dyson will probably get a chance at Ant. Like if Ant tries to go like me versus you, it's going to be a gross game. Yeah. But if we actually move the ball, get DA involved. Um, DA could go, I, I feel like Scoot and DA could have really good games because 
Jonas, Zion, and Lance, Larry Nance, really not not scaring me at the cup. But no, I, I do think the Blazers be aggressive. Blazers, but to be aggressive. Um, but I have win Pistons, lost Pelicans. What do yeah. you have? Yeah. Okay. Um, send this one on home, Sage. And as a reminder, if anything happens between now and noon tomorrow, we will be here to talk about it. But if not, the next future Friday will be Jacoby Walter from Baylor. We will be recording that probably on Friday. Be out later on uh, whenever we're able to get to it. But um, Friday, it'll be on Friday. And then since I do not have a working Xbox Series X, been watching a lot of Providence basketball gonna do a uh complimentary pieces on their star devin carter who is the son of anthony carter you remember the uh backup point guard on the nuggets and heat his son has all of the fundamentals he has but insane bounce so be on the lookout for a lot of holy backboard content this will be out later today future friday on jacoby walter emergency podcast if we actually make a trade and uh complimentary pieces on Carter. So thank you all for listening. We will be back very soon. Um, Go Blazers. Everybody stay safe. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back soon. Peace. All right. Later. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.